Evening, church. I just have a little confession to make. Um, you know what? You guys are actually my favorite crowd to preach to. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Like, I, I go around preaching quite a bit, and um, at other places, they, they don't have this expectancy as you guys do. That when I even just stand up here, uh, before that, during the worship, I just feel some electricity or some sparks, like the Holy Spirit moving. And, and I know something's great's going to happen in the service. I just know that by faith. And I'm grabbing that by faith. That there's going to be some change happening tonight. And God's going to be working and dealing with some people. And, and, and again, another reason why you're my favorite crowd is because you're my family. I'm, I'm quite nervous at other crowds. I'm quite nervous, you know, when I, I, I preach at, you know, Bible college seminaries or at other big churches. I'm quite nervous. But when I stand before you guys, you're my brothers and sisters. <laughs> Thanks, Ralph. And I love that. That's, that's encouragement to me. And, and you guys are so responsive. And keep, keep that up, Oikos Church. Keep that up. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. That's where our message is going to be based tonight. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, not 12, 1 to 20. Now I'll give you the context of this passage before we we delve into it. Day by day, as Jesus is, is gaining popularity, he's getting really popular. Large crowds drawing from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the Jordan, Tyre, and Sidon. Every corner that has people in it in that city has been gathering towards Jesus. And this crowd is just growing larger and larger and larger. This thing is blowing up. It's, it's quickly becoming zero to a hundred. It's snowballing into something that's totally out of control. And here we find Jesus. He has to use the same strategy as when he first met Peter, James, and John. When he first called his disciples, he had to use the same strategy where he has to be on a boat just to be away, away from shore and into the sea, just to be not crushed by the crowd that's, that's gathering towards him. So travel back in time with me and witness this scene. You ready? It starts off with, Run! Go! Get to the chopper! I mean the boat as Jesus yells. As the crowd goes crazy, stampeding towards his crew. I so fierce and eager just to get close to Jesus who's been performing miracles after miracles like buzzing bees gathering towards honey. They just want to touch him because rumor has it that if you just touch him, all your sickness, all your illness, all your alignments will go away. If you've been devil, demon possessed, you will be possessed no more. And so they just wanted to touch him. The emotions of the crowd were stirring into the likes of a hurricane. Excitement is whirling through the air and it is chaotically noisy. And then they hit the water's edge, not knowing what to do anymore because they can't reach Jesus because he's out in the boat with his disciples. And Jesus roars, listen. The crowd stops. There is silence. After a moment, as they calm down, 
Jesus begins to teach. And he says, There was once a farmer who was sowing some seed, and these seeds hit different types of ground. There was, a, there was some seeds that fell on really hard soil, a path or a road, if you will. And these seeds never really take root. And so the birds of the air comes down and it swoops them and they're gone. Other seeds fell on some soil. It did spring out. It, it, it did sprout. But underneath was rocks and pebbles. And so they didn't really develop a a root system. And so when the sun raised up, it full snizzled this little plant. And it wilted and it dried up and it died. Yet other seeds fell into ground. It grew and grew. It looks so promising. It looks like it had so much potential. But there was other force and factors in its environments, weeds and thorn bushes around it, which strangled the plants, not giving the plants any chance to really bear fruit. And so this, this seed also died. But then there was one last soil. As that seed hits the ground, it went deep and it took root. It grew and grew and it grew and it grew. And then it returned a bounty of 30, 60 and 100 folds in return. Those who have ears, let them hear. God bless you, church. <laughs> the sermon ends. What a strange story, the crowd thought. Church, if you were there to observe the crowd and even Jesus' disciples, collectively their eyebrows are raised. With frowns on their face, some people's heads are tilted, some others are scratching their heads. Others are looking towards their companion for some sort of explanation, but all they get in return is a shrug. What was that? What happened? But before we find out what happened, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you send your Holy Spirit. Help illuminate this passage for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in this passage, what Jesus is really trying to tell his disciples is what the kingdom of God is like. But he's teaching everything in parables. And now what is a parable? What is a parable? Let's, let's, break, it, let's break what a parable down is. Pare bule. Pare means alongside of, and boule means to throw. Now, usually when I want to get a point across, instead of just giving it to you straight, sometimes I would want to put a story beside it, alongside it. So what a parable is, it's a point, but with a story beside it. Now, if you get the story, you will get the point. Similar to an illustration, but kind of different to an illustration, because usually with an illustration, you start off with a point and then you use the metaphor to, and then you see how the point and the illustration match up. But with Jesus' parables, he gives you the story, but with the point, he hides it. It's often hidden. That's what a parable is. And the antiquity of this feeling of hearing a parable from Jesus, the challenge now is, how do I get you to experience that in the 21st century? So just imagine, story time with Jesus. You ready? 
Imagine if I told you this story. One day during the peak hours of traffic, a bus was filled to the brim. It was so crowded. It was so full. There was no seats left. There's hardly any space for anyone to stand. A man saw a blind woman enter the bus. He gave up his seat. And on that very same day, this man lost his job. God bless you, church. <laughs> I, I did imagine you guys just laughing. You guys think, oh, I'm just joking until you see me sit down, actually take my keys, go to my car and drive home. <laughs> Many of you be like, Pastor Dexter, he's tripping. What was that? What was it? Uh, let's get some refreshments. But, but if just per chance, just one of you, and I'm going to pick on Coco Bryce because he's not here. He's in the Sunday school room and he's always heckling me, but he can hear this later on in the podcast. <laughs> just by chance, this one Coco Bryce, let's say <laughs> his response to the sermon to that story was like, Crikey, that was not gnarly. Pastor Dexter, he's gone drongo. Why? Because inside his soul, he could not rest until he finds the revelation of that story. It's been weighing on his mind. It's been driving him cocoa. That's, that's the name. And so quickly after the service, he puts on his helmet, his motorbike gear, he hops on his bike and he chases after me within the speed limit, of course. <laughs> and before I put my keys into the doors to walk in, he, he appears on my sidewalk and he flips open his helmet and he says, pass the Dexter. Why was that bloke who gave up his spot for that blind Sheila lose his job? And I'll look at Bryce and I'll smile. Bryce, because the man that gave up his seat for that blind woman was actually the bus driver. Good night. <laughs> That's what you call a revelation. Now, why did Bryce get the revelation, but none of you guys get the revelation? Why? Because Bryce wanted more. He wasn't satisfied with just going to church and listening to something and not fully understanding it. He's trying to dig deeper. He's got to find out what it meant. Now, this illustrates those who take church casually, who just become an attendee, and the difference between a person that's really pursuing King Jesus. And look at verse 10. When Jesus was alone, the 12 and others came around him and asked about the parable. Jesus, what were you on about? We, we didn't understand the thing. Because we were rolling with you during that time, we, we said amen, but really we didn't understand anything. Like, what's, what's going on, Jesus? You see, in that big crowd there, there were some people limping because they stepped on some Lego and they wanted to be healed. Yet there was others in the crowd, which were the Jewish leaders. They're there to criticize. They're not there to learn. They're just there to see what no good Jesus is up to. And if he's going to say some controversial statement that they can record down and give back to headquarters. 
Still, there are others there who's only there because of curiosity, because a crowd draws a crowd. They just saw a crowd wandering and it's like, oh, what's going on? And so they just there by chance. But still there's others in that crowd who cling on to every single word that Jesus said and who wants to fully understand the meaning of what he said. Jesus, what are you on about? This is the difference between a crowd and a true disciple. The crowd only gets an earthly story, but the disciples get a heavenly secret. The crowd only wanted a miracle, but the disciple, they get the Messiah, who is the miracle maker. The crowd just wanted to be entertained, but the disciples, they get an explanation of the parable. Verse 11. Jesus says, to you, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those on the outside, they only got parables so that they may ever be seeing, but never perceiving, they're ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. So really now he's quoting Isaiah 6 and just the struggles of, of being a preacher. If you understand this parable, if you, sorry, if you don't understand this parable, he says, then you won't understand any parable. If you don't understand this parable, then you won't understand any parable. And so to me, this parable is quite vital because if you don't get this one, you won't get the rest. And then Jesus deciphers for his disciples, there's really four different types of groups. And he reveals at the end of it, this is a really big deal on which group that you find yourself in. Either you're in the first three who really perishes, who really don't understand, who really don't get the forgiveness of God, or you're the last group whom do get saved. This, don't take this lightly. This parable is quite serious. Because there are people, actually everyone went, what? But there's really two groups now. The, the first three in one category they go, what? But they go, that was weird. And they just walked off. But the last group in the last category, they went, what? But they went to seek for the answer. Seek and you will find, the Bible says. This parable talks about the proclamation about the kingdom of God, but also the reaction of it. How people react, how people respond to the kingdom of God. This, as Jesus explains, this parable, the kingdom is like what happens when a message goes out. My word is the seed. And it's really twofold. When I preach, when my word comes out, this is how people respond. And, and also the other fold is apostles, disciples, when you preach, there's always going to be different types of responses. And there's four responses. And the factor to that response is really in the soil. The seed in this passage, it stays the same. It is never changing throughout the story. The only variable that changes is the soil. And maybe you are here tonight and you know, if you admit it, you've been going to church for a long time now, but you see no changes in your life. 
you know what, I agree with you. Yeah, there is no change in your life. But what I would never agree with is that the problem is with the seed. Maybe the problem is in the soil. The Bible says the word of God, which is the seed, it is perfect, it is infallible, it is true, it remains constant. The word of God lasts forever. This earth may perish, but the word of God, no. The word became flesh and it dwelt among men. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But the seed's productivity also has something to do with the soil that it's in. You get that? The seed's productivity also has something to do with the soil that it's in. So let's do a soil test tonight. But okay, I understand most of you aren't farmers or gardeners. You don't even like to touch dirt. So I got this example from a pastor named Robert Madu. He took out the I and he switched it with a U. So let's have a look. So let's... The soul, yeah, okay. So instead of doing a soil test, let's do a soul test. And after me spending a lot of time in thesaurus.com, looking at a whole bunch of cinnamon words starting with S, every word is starting, every keyword is starting with S, you may either fall into four groups with corresponding consequences and outcomes. So the first group, a stubborn soul will be snatched. A shallow soul will be scorched. A stressed soul will be strangled. And a susceptible soul will be saved. I'm going to struggle with that word. But let's look at the first group. The stubborn soul. Now I have spent a lot of my life preaching And I've seen reactions. Some reactions are like, some are, some are fully. (laughs) Others are. Now some people think as a preacher, as I stand up here, they have no idea what, they think that I have no idea what's going on. But I see, I see all that's happening. Now, I'm not talking to those who actually have the Bible app open and and actually taking down notes, but you know what gives you away when you do this? I know, you're just scrolling down social media. Even worse, I've seen some of this. (laughs) They're playing Angry Birds! (laughs) The first group represents a sea that falls upon a footpath, but it didn't take root. And birds, which represent Satan, comes and swoops in and snatches it. A stubborn soul will be snatched. Your response to this word is rejection in the, in the immediate sense. Maybe you're apathetic. Maybe you're lethargic. You're not paying attention. During worship, there is no awe or delight in your eyes. You're just in a daze. Your mind is wandering off for other things. The word, though, never lands inside you. It seems like it's, it doesn't even go in one ear and out the other. No, it just, it just bounces off you. <laughs> or maybe you're like 
the Pharisees and the Jews who are very antagonized and angered and offended by the words that Jesus say. Maybe you don't like what I say or who I am. And your excuse is like, oh, Dexter is too young. He yells too much. He's not funny. I know that's not true because I am. (laughs) Whatever reason it is, the word never takes root in your life. And here's a phenomenon that I find and that I see. I see two people in the exact same service experience two different realities and two different responses. You have one person whose tears are coming down like the dam has broken. You see this not going up and down like a bungee cord. And by the end of the service, you just see all these stains and marks on their wrist. And they are talking whale. And they are proclaiming, oh, never be the same again. I call them beautifully wrecked. But the other person, they're like, service took too long. Man, they're in the same service, but experiencing two different realities and having two different responses. The second group, the shallow soul, represents the seed that fell on rocky soil. You're the type of person that received the seed with joy, and these people are pretty happy. They're like, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, hallelujah, praise Jesus. They're happy. They say things, they know how to say things that make you really feel good. God, I love you. God, I love you. God, I love you. But the moment God does not perform the way they want God to perform, there's a shift. There is a change. When life hits, problems, pressure, persecution, when there's testing, trials, and tribulation, that when the moment comes when they have to pay the price, maybe it's popularity amongst their peers. Maybe the moment when they find out the cost of actually being a disciple that they have to deny themselves and carry the cross and follow him, they say, I'm out. That's it. I'm, I'm done. I see a lot of these people at camps. I'm on fire for Jesus. But when they actually come under fire from their friends, their families or their colleagues... They can't take the heat. Jesus, I'll be on fire for you, but not literal fire. Like it's, They're the type of people that are jolly one moment, but depresso the next. The moment that God becomes a little silent, they think that God does not exist anymore. And they forget everything that he's done in the past for them. The second group is the shallow sh- soul that will be scorched because they cannot take the heat. The third group is this stressed soul. It represents the seed that falls among thorn. The word takes root in their hearts, but their hearts are really divided. They love God. They know a lot about God. The word has, they, they, they know a lot, but they're distracted. 
Maybe when you were worshiping today, maybe it's that thing that popped up in your mind that's stealing your attention away from our God. And those things are actually idols. Now, you think idols may only be the things that you love. No, no, no. Idols can also be the things that you fear or that you worry about. Anything that draws you away from God is an idol. The devil, he uses two ways to make us let go of our seed. One is destruction, where you're holding the seed tight and he comes in by force and he tries to wrestle it out of your hands. But the other way is actually seduction. Hey, I got something really good from temptation. Hey, hey, I'll, I'll trade you. And he may offer romance, riches, status, power, influence, you name it. And you end up trading what is eternal for something temporal. Another way, you know, if you're in this group, is if you haven't been spiritually growing. It's been a long time and you see no progress. It's been a long time and you see no progress and you feel stagnant. But you know what? You actually feel okay. You actually come. Placent. At least I'm not regressing. That's what you think. But let me tell you, if you're not growing, you're actually dying. Before you know it, those things, those idols will come and they will strangle you without you knowing it. You want to do great things for God, but there's other forces and factors that obstructs you and it quells your thirst for the word. And then they're the last group, the susceptible soul. (laughs) Represents the seed that falls on good soil, that returns in bounty 30, 60, and 100 fold of what was planted. For the first hearers, if they were farmers, their ears would have actually perked up. Because in that Palestinian agricultural culture, seeds only yield up to five to at least five to ten times max their return. But seeds that, that gives 30, 60, 100, that's a supernatural seed. Jesus, I want that seed. That's awesome. But you're, you represent the type. Now, 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 why did I categorize this? Why, why did I say a susceptible soul will be saved? Well, I'm basing this off another passage in the Bible, which is taken from James chapter 1, verse 21. It says this, So get rid of all filth and evil in your life and humbly accept the word of God in your hearts and it has the power to save your soul. You're the type that lets the word sink deep within and lets it take hold of your heart and it transforms you from inside out. And you don't let this word stay buried within your heart. No, it springs forth with abundant life. And you can't help but to share the gospel. You can't help to share life when you find life. You know that when you were saved, you were sent. And you just have this burning desire. That's that's how you know you're in the fourth group. So which group do you belong in? 
I hope that you don't take the word of God and you use it as binoculars and you're looking at your neighbor. Yep, you're the first one. Yep, you're the third one. Like you're the fruit police. No, no, but the Bible is better used as a mirror in viewing yourself. I'll ask the band to come up as I try to land the plane. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that there are different types of souls and different types of soil. And also, how do I know that God is the one that's actually sowing the seed? Well, because if it's me, I wouldn't be throwing seed on hard ground or rocky soil or thorny bushes. I wouldn't do that. Why? Because if those people don't even want to hear me, I'm not going to say anything to them. If I'm going to love those people and they don't love me in return, nah, it's a waste of time. But God's not like me. He is merciful. He is full of grace and truth. And He loves you. And He loves you. Even if you have hardened hearts, shallow hearts or divided hearts, He says, I don't care. I'm going to get my word to you. I'm going to give you my gospel and I'm going to send my son down to die for you because that's how much I love you. In this next moment, I hope you don't hear Dexter, but you hear God Himself. For those of you tonight whom you realise and recognise that you're in the first three groups, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. Because a word from Jesus, even the most dead things can rise again. A word from Jesus, even the most dormant things, the most still things will have to move. And a word from Jesus, even the most lost can be found. That's the power of our Jesus. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to get confused. Yes, you are the soil. Yes, you may be calloused. You may have stones and rocks underneath, or you may have weeds beside your soil. But don't get confused. The soil's job is not to remove those things. Why? Because I'm so deprived. I'm so deprived to even want to love God. I'm too weak to pull out those rocks and pebbles outside myself. And I'm too reluctant to remove those weeds and thorns in my life. That's the gardener's job. It's the gardener's job to make the ground soft. It's the gardener's job to make, to work the fields, to remove the rocks, to remove the weeds. That's the gardener's job. And tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to ask the gardener himself. The great, good gardener. Come to him. I I need faith. I don't know you. Can you reveal yourself to me? Lord, I'm... I'm, I'm too weak to remove these rocks, 
these things that are weighing me down, these, these chains, I, I, I can't break free. I, I can't do it without you. I, I can't remove them. Lord, there are things in my life that are distracting me from your purpose, from your will. Can you maybe gently, if not forcefully, but completely remove them from me? Can you let the gospel spring forth out of my life and bring life to others? And you know what God says? He says, of course, of course, I've been waiting for you to ask me. Jesus says to those of you who identify that your soil is a road, that your soil has rocks underneath or that your soil has thorn bushes around. As we head into Holy Communion now as a family, you know what Jesus says to you? I love you. And you know what? I have walked on that road. I have walked on a road, a road to Golgotha. I have taken your sin that has been weighing you down as rocks. I have took the thorns and they were placed on my brow. I have endured mocking, scorning, beating, nail-pierced hands and feet. My body was utterly broken so that you could be healed. My blood was shed so that you would have forgiveness of sin. I really died. I was buried. But three days later, I really did roll that stone away. I've taken whatever those things, whatever sin in your life is. And I've forgiven you. That's my job. God bless you, church.